Next Chapter Podcasts. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The 500, the 500, J.A.M. been walking us down through that 2012 edition, so it ain't nothing to new, hundreds more to go, and in need of a friend, the king of these for Angelo, talking the 500 until the end, talking the 500 until the end. My man J.M. On the 500 Talking the 500 until the end That song is Just Like Honey. It's by the Jesus and Mary Chain from their 1985 record, Psycho Candy. It's number 269 out of 500 on, uh, you know what it is, the 500 with Josh Adam Myers. Hey, everybody. Hey, everybody. Oh, I'm still doing it, aren't I? <laughs> if you are tuning in for the first time, a comedian goes through Rolling Stone Magazine's list of the 500 greatest albums. So if you want uh, real info and and like a real smart person, I think Malcolm Gladwell and Rick Rubin have a podcast. You can listen to that. Um, but if you want to have fun, we have fun here. All right, what is going on? Uh, I will be at the Moon Tower Comedy Festival April 19th through the 21st in Austin, Texas, doing the goddamn Comedy Jam, doing a live taping of Himbos, my other podcast, which you should listen to if you guys are into fashion, fun, food, sex, all the good stuff. It's a comedy podcast uh, run by two really good-looking Jewish guys, me being one of them. Himbo's podcast on all social media. Check it out. But I'm doing shows. I'm going to do comedy mothership. It's going to be great at Moon Tower. Then uh, I will be at the goddamn comedy jam at the comedy store on April 23rd. Then uh, the 24th, I'm doing shimmy shimmy ya. And then I'll be at the La Jolla Comedy Store Friday, April 28th through the 30th in beautiful La Jolla, California. I'll be in Baltimore May 5th and the 6th at the Port. Uh, In June, I will be at the Jacksonville Comedy Zone in Florida. I'll be at the Dead Crow in Wilmington in June, July, Montreal, and July 28th through October 15th. I am hosting for Jelly Roll. Uh, Me and my band are doing the uh, Backroad Baptism Tour at about 44 different arenas around America. Come out, come one, come all. It's going to be a real trip. I love Jelly Roll. Super stoked to be doing this. Um, So we're stacking episodes right now. So I did a bunch this week. Um, Have you subscribed to the Patreon? Because we need your money because none of us are really making any anymore. 
So go to patreon.com backslash the 500 podcast and support the show. You get a bunch of stuff. Bunch of stuff. Bunch of, bunch of stuff. And you get to ask questions to the guest. So support, man. Um, Big ups to Emily helping us book this show. We love her. Uh, And then the other people that work on it are cool too. Um, Psych, they're all mad right now that I said that. I love all of you. I'm so excited. Uh, Who do we have this week for Jesus and Mary Chain? Uh, Matt Pinfield, he's returning. Uh, Matt is a legend in music. Uh, Multiple shows on the air right now. He's a former VJ on MTV, MTV2. He was the host of 120 Minutes. He was honored at the Global Rock Summit event with the first International Rock Icon of the Year Award for his contributions to music, radio, and media. He is a god, god in music, and we are lucky to have him on to break down this record. So uh, leave us a five-star rating uh, anywhere you listen to this podcast. Follow me at Josh Adam Myers on all social media. I post clips daily uh, and funny stuff. Uh, JoshAdamMyers.com for all my tickets. Uh, email the podcast at 500podcast at gmail.com. We have a Facebook group run by this dude named Evan. And for all things 500, go to the website, the500podcast.com. And with that, Psycho Candy by Jesus and Mary Chain. Booyah. How you guys we're, doing? We're good, man. And I mean, we're diving right into this because, um, you know, we know we both have a time constraint today. Um, I'm doing great. Jeremiah. Hey, where, are you? where are you now? Where are you living, Josh? I live in New York City. Yeah, I thought you'd moved a while ago because, you know, I, I would be seeing you, I'm sure, if you were still here. Well, I come back. I come back every month to do the goddamn comedy jam um, at the comedy store, and, and so I'm. I want to basic- I got to come see it again, you know, and I want to come bring my girlfriend to that. I- the next one is April twenty second, I think, at the comedy oh. store. Yeah, and come hang backstage. Oh, that'll be amazing! I'll bring my my youngest daughter. She's you know she's twenty three. I'll bring her. She she would love to come to that. It'd be so cool. What have you oh. been up to? You know, I got a show on Access TV called the power hour which started as a twitch show through dwp those concert promoters that do like a lot of you know the hard rock stuff that's out there but they also you know um you know everybody's on those festivals from food fighters and weezer and green day to you know avenge sevenfold and guns and roses and kiss and you know it's like so i do this show they built a studio for it started out as a twitch thing they had to deal with twitch and access tv saw the show and then picked it up uh as a it was called the Power Hour. It was a joke. It was I was doing it from this couch, believe it or not. Nice, nice. And then, uh, so it's been going. It's it's uh, was initially ten episodes. Now it's been up to eighteen. Um, nice. And uh, plus, I still do all my other shit. Like I have this live stream show that's in. It's a rock countdown and all the Teslas. I'm on KLOS every Sunday night doing interviews and uh, like a, a LA top 10 music countdown and then you know think about album anniversaries and birthdays it's i've been yeah, doing that show for two and years approved, yeah right? yeah so i got that yeah that's what they made me that um, well you yeah. i mean it, it's every you you have to constantly like you are going to die doing something involved with music like I, there you're going to yeah. be at a festival and a pillar is going to fall on you yes like, <laughs> let's hope it's not i don't end up like the great curtis mayfield which was uh how did so he go? Terrible. Yeah. Well, I mean, he was crippled at a nice tea concert. You know, I think it was out in Brooklyn or somewhere like that. The thing he was performing, the thing fell on him and he was paralyzed. Mm-hmm. And 
eventually lost the great Curtis Mayfield. Well, that's say. terrible. I, but, which, uh, but you know, but, I, but, I, I mean, hey, I was hit by a car and survived. So remember, you know, since the last time we did, yeah, this show was that crazy situation where I was hit by a car on Franklin Avenue, not far from where you used to live. Uh, yeah, woman, woman ran at a red light. I I was uh, literally sore out of the corner of my eye. Saved my life because I jumped up, snapped my leg in half. I went up, catapulted through her windshield. My whole body, my, my head went through her windshield. Mm. Tore my head open. She hit the brakes finally. Went up. She finally realized I was there when I was in her car. And then, <laughs> like, of course, I was thrown out of her car. 30 feet, landed on the ground, was miraculously not paralyzed or killed. Yeah. And then had that long road to recovery of eight months of, you know, physical therapy, walking on a walker, walking on a cane, and then eventually, you know, uh, came back to, uh, you know, I'm doing, I mean, now I fucking hike three hours on Sundays. That's great. At Griffith Park. Yeah. You know what I mean? And I, yeah. I have a metal rod on my leg, but I don't feel any pain. And uh, Good. Good. You know, and except I, it's, when the weather sucks. Yeah, I, I, trust me, I'm the same way. I have, I have that weird weather knee. I think they're, you know, one, I think that was how we connected because we're both car accident brothers. You know what I mean? We both had tragic events happen with car accidents, getting hit by a car. But but also what I loved about because, you know, you think about it, man, we've been doing this almost five years and you were one of the first 15 guests, I think, that we had on, which was like one of my favorite episodes, because that was when we really started getting into, you know, I think we were we, we did an album with maybe nine songs on it. And I think we recorded for three hours. Yeah, which, we went for a while. But yeah. this is, but and the show is a lot shorter now. I've gotten yeah. a lot busier. We don't want to keep anybody that long. Um, but when we were lo- looking at somebody for Jesus and Mary Chain, you know, yeah. we we were like, this is a band that I know influenced arguably one of my top ten favorite bands that I mentioned in that joke earlier, Black Rebel Motorcycle Club. Like, okay. I hear this, I hear so much. JMC in BRMC yeah. that it that it's giving me uh, PCP on my <laughs> PEINIS. Uh, no, I, I but it's 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 really like like this. There's no BRMC. There's no that sludge. The what even I don't even think there's even like elements of like grunge and stuff. Um, that if you, if you don't have this band. So so being that you're someone that I've always looked up to as someone that knows music, you know these guys, you know a lot of the history and the stories of these bands. Like, let's go back to the first moment. Where were you in your life when you first heard about Jesus and Mary Chain? Well, you know, I bought the single of Upside Down. You know, I was always one of those guys. Uh, you know, I continued doing college radio way past my college days, and it's hilarious. I, I mean, I, I was really cool that I just got – Kind of Rutgers just put me in there. WRSU College Radio Hall of Fame. A lot of people that came out of that college radio station, um, you know, which was really nice, of course. Um, And, you know, college radio was really important to me because New York radio sucked so bad when I was growing up. And it's, you know, look, I'm not talking about the talent because I ended up working with tons of these DJs at Sirius XM over the years. And I think they're all really talented and great people. But the playlists were so tight uh, and so different than L.A. or Cleveland or other play, or even Philly, you know, where I would like sometimes that. discover that New York radio was was uh, abysmal in the uh, late seventies. Um, and why? Why was it so yeah. bad? Being in such a metropolitan city, yeah, uh, playlist and your playlist was so what? tight. Yeah, it wasn't even just disco. I mean, like 
certainly I grew to like this, some disco stuff. I hated a lot of it when I was a kid because I was an angry disenfranchised youth after having an aneurysm mm -hmm. between junior high and high school. I fucking hated uh, that. Oh. And I, but, but uh, in retrospect, of course, you know, I love a lot of those BG songs. They didn't even, they didn't even read the script when they wrote those songs for Saturday Fever. And, you know, look, I love Jive Talking, which was their first jump into like dance music. And I liked their 60s stuff that was like really like more psychedelic or pop. Or actually, many of the BG songs had so much tragedy in them. Everything was about like dying, being caught in a mining shaft. Uh, you know what I mean? Like, you know, being executed. I mean, it was some of the songs were so fucking depressing. But getting back to uh, New York radio sucking so bad. For me in the 70s, I was so ready to embrace punk and new wave. I still loved a lot of rock, but the bands that I was listening to probably up into that period were ACDC with Bon Scott, Thin Lizzy, and things like that. Obviously, I still loved a lot of other, other things, but I um, was ready for punk and for new wave. And then when college radio happened for me, you know, I was constantly going to the store and using every cent that I had because, uh, you know, and, and then found a job DJing in an alternative new wave nightclub right where i dj there and the other entertainment was richie zambora of bon jovi he was like on the other nights playing his guitar doing a trio richie was before john bon jovi and the other guys in the band came and plucked him and you know the rest is history but yeah my my history with alternative music was was really important so i would constantly even at this point in time i had been on my first at my first like pay radio job even though it was less than like working at a fast food restaurant i was uh there was an alternative station on the jersey shore this incredible station whtg in asbury park and i was you know still buying imports not only for the clubs and i was still extending my college radio show so i had another outlet to play um but i would you know would go to the record store and i, I found the jesus and mary chain symbol for upside down first of all i thought I love the name of the band. I thought it was such a cool name for a really band. great name. Yeah. Looked great, you know? And so that's how I got introduced to them. And then, you know, of course they were, you know, on their own label at that point and then did something, you know, with, you know, they got the attention of, uh, you know, uh, Alan McGee, who's a good friend of mine who I love from, you know, creation records, what an incredible independent record label from Scotland. But, um, you know, the band ended up getting signed to Blanco y Negro, which was a Warner Brothers subsidiary by the guy, uh, Jeff Travis, who started Rough Trade Records and signed the Smiths and a bunch of other people at the fall. Um, had this record label, right, called Blanco y Negro, and they signed everything but the girls. So, like, their label mates were everything but the girl, who I think are an incredible uh, duo and band. Um and you know, started. What was their that. What was their big song? I know I've heard the name before. Um, you know, it, um, "Missing" was the big American song. You know, "And I Miss You." You know, uh, uh, but they made many records. Tracy Thorn was an incredible vocalist. It's very a lot of it's loungy in a way, but she's really incredibly talented, and I, I loved them. But the Mary Chain for me was a really important band, and I've, I've got to tell you that. What I, what I think about the Mary Chain is, and, I, and I'm going to be completely honest, I love the run of their first four albums. And as much as I love Psycho Candy, my favorite album is probably the one right after it, Darklands, um, which was their biggest record in the charts in England. And that was on the strength and the backbone of Psycho Candy because they had gotten such a buzz that they got this top like three album and had their biggest hit single with April Skies, which is one of my favorite songs ever that I 
have played on every radio station I've ever worked at. Every time it's April 1st, generally I will uh, pull that song out and, and demand to play it on the air because yeah. I love the Mary Chain. And I also love the third album, Automatic, the one with Head On and Loose From a Gun. And the fourth one, Honey's Dead, which has con- arguably one of the most subversive alternative songs um, to open the record, Reverence, which was a song that the lyrics were, I want to die just like Jesus Christ. I want to die on a bed of spikes. <laughs> I want to die in the USA. I want to die just like JFK on a sunny day. Oh, wow. You know, it was one of the songs that, you know, radio, radio stations played it early on, but when I was doing the morning show in New York um, with Leslie Fram, who's an amazing, she's a big, huge executive, you know, running CMT now. And she had a background in alternative music. And it was the only song that she said to me, Matt, you can't play that song. And like mm. in the morning, you know, I can play the gun club. I had this feature on the radio every morning called Spin Matt's iPod from like 2008 to 2011. And the only song I wasn't allowed to play was Reverence by Jesus and Mary Chain because of those lyrics. It's like, I want to die. I want to die. It's just like, I think it was a little too intense for eight in the morning for four sure. million people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, you know, uh, but I think Psycho Candy is such an important record. I do love the album. I love uh, it as uh, as musically, but also as a document uh, and how it really ushered in an interesting change. And you got to think about what was really, you know, on the charts and at the end of 85, it was like, you know, things like Dire Straits and Wham and Tears for Fears, who I also love, of course. Yeah, but, yeah. Um, you but... know, but it was just, um, and Simply Red, you know, things like that in the UK, things were different. Uh, it was about to be, there was about to be an explosion with hair metal yeah. Uh, worldwide, Let's but look at some of the top songs of 1985. Yeah. I mean, you got the Eurythmics, yeah, who are also great, by the way. I mean, you know, I, fears uh, you said, simple yeah. mind, Huey Lewis in the news, power yeah. of love, yeah. So, what would you call this? Era. What would you call Matt? What would you call this era of music? At, but what was at the forefront? I mean, I mean, I this... think that it was just like it was an interesting place because it was post punk had made way, you know, through the merging of. You know, the electronic music that was happening at the time, the OMDs, you know, the soft cells, the blamage, all the bands that were were originally starting out um, with the whole synth thing. Things had gotten a little different. I mean, The Cure were still having a lot of success. The Smiths were still extremely successful. But, um, you know, it was, you know, obviously Whitney Houston and, you know, Dire Straits and fucking heads, you know, there were great things on, on the charts, but you know, Mr. Mr. And things like that were very pop. And, uh, you know, um, it was just a very different time. This was, you know, there was, there was certainly a big market for independent music, uh, in the UK. There were independent music charts. There was a great John Peel, the, uh, legendary DJ there who I actually got to have lunch with before, you know, way before he died back in about 1990. Two at Reading Festival, the one where Nirvana were, you know, on the stage uh, where Kurt Cobain came out in the uh, hospital gown and a wheelchair, and then you know got him up. And I was actually there on the side of the stage. Oh wow! Months. But uh, but yeah, this record was super important, and um, I think it's wild that the third single on the record was just like Honey, which is the song that is obviously opens the album. It was the most well known. Uh, and might still be the most well-known song, at least in many circles. It was in Lost in Translation. It's been used in the soundtracks of tons of movies. But the Mary Chain were just, I loved them um, because I loved their, just their sonic assault was unbelievable. 
Hello, Tom May here, host of Future Friday. I've spent the last 15 years on the road with my band, The Menzingers, where I've met all kinds of wild and fascinating people. So I started a podcast. On Future Friday, I talked to fellow musicians about the moments that made them, their passions outside of music, and the curiosities that tie us all together. I've also talked to the likes of UFO researchers, magicians, soldiers, and documentary filmmakers, and I'm constantly searching for folks that can shape and change our view of the world. You can check out Future Friday wherever you like. Hey there, I am Johnny Christ from Avenged Sevenfold, and I've got a podcast called Drinks with Johnny you're going to want to check out. I sit down with a bunch of different people from all different walks of life, from professional wrestlers to actors, comedians, fighters, musicians, everything in between. I'm just looking to make some friends and have a good time doing it. So if that sounds like something you're into, go check out Drinks with Johnny, streaming everywhere now. And yeah, like how would you describe how would you describe this? Because I, I I'm like listening to this, and a, a lot of it sounds very similar. Like there's, it's not much of like you know. Sometimes the tracks kind of do bleed together. That's not saying I didn't like it because I do love yeah. like I, some of the bands that they influence. You kept saying it's an important record. It's an important record. I want you to expand on that as the well. The reason why but, I'll say that, and again, yeah. I do love. The second, third, and fourth album even more. more. Yes, yeah, yeah. I love Darklands. I mean, I think that's a masterpiece. And then Automatic's great and Honey's Dead. I think Jesus and Mary Chain fans, uh, you know, all have a favorite. But I think what the reason why this record is so important is because, again, it was such an assault on the senses. There were things that had, you know, there was the punk ethos there. And the fact that, you know, you didn't have to be great at playing an instrument. You didn't have to be a great singer uh, and which Jim Reed had said in interviews back then, he had said, you know, look, man, you know, you could pick up an instrument and, you know, learn a few chords and start a band. You, you know, sometimes that's better than having, you know, five years of lessons, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Reference. But I think what was interesting was in making this record, it was some people would compare it to Lou Reed's legendary metal machine music record, which, you know, of course, many said originally he recorded it to get out of his contract with, RCA it was two records of what sounded like air conditioner noise. So like mm. people will say, this sounds like a blender. This sounds like a lawnmower. This sounds like a chainsaw. This sounds like, I'm going to talk about the Jesus Mary Chain record. Yeah. It sounds like endless feedback. And a lot of that is true. You could use all those words to describe this record, but at the root of it, what's so important is it's, it's really all about pop melodies. And in that sense, it's important because you know, if you look forward to Nirvana, right, and you, and you know that Kurt Cobain loved pop music, but, you know, it was very, if you, even if you listen to Nevermind, he was listening to Smithereens, especially for you, which is an incredible album. Listen to all the Smithereens. I love that band. Underrated band from my home area of central New Jersey. Cobain was so, listening so much that Blood and Roses seeped into about a girl, you know, and then later on, Pat Denise's vocals. You can hear its influence on Kurt Cobain and on a plane on Nevermind, you know? But I'm saying, like, you know, it, it has this important place, right? I mean, we can go through different tracks right. on the record quickly if you want, but I can I can say uh, it was taking, you know, the things that obviously Jim and William Reed, his two brothers, loved. And I love the story that, you know, their father got, you know, set, you know, severance at a job that he'd had for years, and he gave them 300 pounds to buy like a, a porta studio, like a recorder, like, you know, basically to start recording yeah. in their house. 
Um, and you get the feeling, even by all the lyrics, um, you know, that, you know, they were really doing things in the bedroom and that they, as you know, Jim Reed was, you know, I said many times that he was very uncomfortable being in crowds and that's why he drank so much. And that's why he and his brother would brawl on stage. And there were so many fights between your brothers. Yeah. And I mean, that, that continued into the years. Like I remember like 2008 or seven, seeing those guys when they were back together, whenever it was. And they were still like fighting by the end of the show. And honestly, uh, their, their shows were really hit or miss. I would always go really hoping it was great. And sometimes it'd be a terrible show. When know? was the it's, first time? No, when was the first time you saw them? Like when, how, how way back I did it? First, was it? Uh, it was way back. I think around the time of Darklands when they uh, came out and played uh, New York City. And I'm almost sure it was the Ritz, if I'm not mistaken, going back. But, uh, you know, I... I had the funniest experience of interviewing the band at uh, at the I think it was the second Lollapalooza was the one I think it was the one which uh, the Chili Peppers Soundgarden Pearl Jam oh uh, wow and, yeah uh, yeah those lines were incredible yeah, it was man. unreal right and so yeah in fact when I leave here today I'm going to be interviewed for this Paramount Plus docu series on the Lollapalooza's early years but oh, I mean, wow yeah which yeah. is really cool that it's coming out but um I was on the side of the stage doing interviews. At La Palooza, I think it was 92, if I'm not mistaken, um, with the Jesus and Mary Chain. And they went on early in the day. And I just remember Jimmy going, this is really weird for us, man, because uh, we're not going, we're just not used to going on in the daylight. You know, like, coffee, yeah. dark noise bands are meant to be seen at night in the dark. Sure. The closed venue. But, um, you know, nightclub thing. But, um, you know, I, I think what's... It was obviously the record's a statement. It's a document, and uh, and you know I can talk to you about the songs on this record, but I think you know just like Honey, obviously. Well, well, hold on. before I wanted, I wanted you. We we mentioned them fighting. Yeah, let's talk about for, that. For, well, I want to talk about here's well first. Before, let me just read this little spiel for yeah. everybody out there that is this is might be their first time ever listening to the Jesus and Mary Chain. This is a Scottish alternative rock band formed by two brothers, Jim and William Reed in '83, with various bandmates joining them throughout the years. The band is influenced uh, or said to be influenced by the Stooges, the Velvet Underground, and their sound successfully lands somewhere between the Stooges' noise and, like you said, Lou Reed's catchy lyrics. The three following albums after Psycho Candy, Darklands, Automatic, and Honey's Dead are also very highly positive reviewed albums. Uh, there is, was rising tension between the members developed in the mid-90s. They split up in 99 after their sixth and least commercially successful record, Monkey. Uh, they were formed in 2007, playing shows and re releasing various box sets and greatest hits albums before the recording of a new studio record, Damage and Joy, in 2017. So brothers Jim and William had been inspired to form a band in 77, having heard groups of the British punk scene. By the early 80s, they formed their own. Uh, William stated it was perfect timing because they weren't any there weren't any guitar bands. Everybody was making this electronic pop music. Yeah, seventy seven was like a real. Well, no, isn't but isn't punk well, out think, in seventy seven? Yeah, I think he means like when their record came out, like eighty five. Okay. I think seventy seven, you know, was punk, and you know, and again, I was talking about about how much I didn't like the New York radio stations, and that's because you know they played the same five albums on repeat frampton comes alive wings at the yeah. speed of sound hotel california asia and silk degrees by boss Skaggs. and it's no like in retrospect you know 
I like things on every one of those records, uh, certainly. Sure. And, uh, you know, I've interviewed every single one of those artists somewhere, maybe with the exception of Donald Fagan, who, but I do love early Steely Dan. But I, um, I just wanted to say that even if you like those records, nobody wanted to hear them that much. You and can't. There, you give, yeah, there you're, was just you're, too you're, much you're, cocaine uh, being stuffed, shoved up the nose of the DJs and programmers back then in that part of the 70s. And they were looking for long album sides to play over and over again, while they, <laughs> whatever they were doing. I mean, how many times, uh, can, you hear, hey, how many times can you hear Lido shuffle? You know what I mean? Yeah, which is you know, a good song, but it's like not a thousand or low down a thousand t- times in a week. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it was brutalizing me. And I was just this teenager, you know, just hungry for new music for more. in the late yeah. 70s. That's why, you know, I fell in love with. The Dead Boys, the Sex Pistols, and the Ramones, but like even like all the other things that were coming out at that period of time, like Squeeze and Elvis Costello and Nick Lowe, and you know there were so many cool things that were coming. Um, uh, but I got to say that you know for this period of Mary Chain, I think we're talking about th- everything was very slick in '85, '86. Um, you know, it was coming on the post explosion of electronic pop that came out of originally started, and who deserves the most credit. In the beginning, the first guy to the biggest hit in electronic music in England was Gary Newman. I mean, you know, for years, the press over there, you know, shit on him. And then they were all a bunch of fucking jerk offs because at the end of the day, our friends electric is one of the most important records of all time because yeah. it was the first number one electronic record with no chorus. As Courtney Love said, it's one of the greatest songs of all time with no chorus. The riff was the synth thing. He was in a punk band. He found a synthesizer in the corner that somebody had left in the studio and incorporated that thing into his music. And then all of a sudden became this electronic pioneer, Gary Newman. And then he inspired so many other people. And that's when Depeche Mode and so many other people broke through because of Gary Newman. He broke down the door for everybody. But yeah. uh, when it came to electronic music, I'm not saying he's the first, certainly Ultravox, even with their first singer, John Fox was doing things like that. And, Eno, you know, and there were people, that were using, and you know, of course, craft work, and there were some kraut rock bands. I mean, there were so many different people using stuff, but he had taken it into a, a different place. It was electronic rock, and it made it into the pop charts. So, but but I mean, this was it, things were getting a lot softer in '85. You know, they really were. And I think for people that loved independent music, they there was that you know people that had discovered how brilliant the Smiths were at this period of time. Mm-hmm. REM were getting bigger in America, but. I, there wasn't, other than, you know, this, it was just one of those periods of time where also the, you got to remember the British press, and I want to explain this to everybody who's listening, used to have three weekly music newspapers, and they were great, but they had to write about something all the time. They had to have something to sell newspapers. So if there was like a fight with six people outside a gig, you know, at a, at a Jesus Marriage they said, right, it was all right, it's a polytechnic. And maybe, you know, 30, 10 people got in a fight. But they would turn it into this incredible thing. So when yeah. that news got over to America, we were like, who's this band that's causing riots in the UK? Yeah, 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 so, yeah. You, know, you realize, I, you know, <laughs> so it was one of those things. Uh, so the hype was there um, for Jesus and Mary Chain. But the thing was, how I look at, you know, their songwriting and, you know, it was very evident here is their influence of Lou Reed and the Velvet Underground, their big influence of, the Beach Boys, because there's something about, and you know, later they covered Surfing USA. It was one of their B-sides. So they, you know, they wear their influences on their sleeves. But I just think they're super important now, a band who got better on the second, third, could, and fourth yeah, album. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I, I thought, <laughs> I, I found this very interesting. It's, you know, 
Whereas when they're getting ready to form it, they're, they're unemployed. They start writing and recording stuff at home. And then to decide who gets to be the lead singer, they do a coin toss because neither wanted to do it. Yeah, I mean, that's a really interesting thing about them. They were reluctant stars, but they didn't, well, not reluctant musicians, but they didn't, you know, have that confidence. Uh, I'm glad that Jim Reed won the coin toss because as we will talk about on this record, there is only one song with Williams singing and Jim definitely rose to the occasion using all his limitations and using them very well on their second, third and fourth album. And, uh, but again, uh, there are good songs on this record and, um, and, yeah, uh, there, there. Yeah. No, look, I, I don't want to say there's not. I, I actually did enjoy this. Jeremiah texted me yesterday. He said it sounded like nails being scratched on a chalkboard. Yeah, well, I was uh, saying the, the blender, the lawnmower, you know, the air conditioner. Oh my god. Yeah, like, yeah. Don't don't listen to this with really good headphones. Is what I'm saying. <laughs> yeah, it's really listen funny in the background. Well, like, you know, my away. as my girlfriend was sleeping, I'm like, you know, um, maybe I'll listen to this with headphones. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know what this? You know, it, she might she might move out if uh, she hears this record a little too. This loud. not it's not like this is that same record or even on the quality of the production. But very very early on in the podcast, we did uh, PIL's Metal Box, right. yeah. and that you mentioned how like Gary Newman wrote a song with no chorus and that in electronic it's and and I remember listening to Metalbox being like wow there's this all sounds very very similar it's all noise and yeah. I hated it and then one yeah. morning I woke up and I was humming one of the melodies uh and I was like and I was like, like pop tones or something yeah like it was pop tunes and I was like <laughs> let me let me re let me re um listen to this record right now and I did and I remember I took like a second I'm standing in front of the speakers and I just go this is one of the greatest records ever made. This is the punk rock uh, bitches brew. I this is incredible, and I remember I sat down with Kyle Kinane to talk about it. And he goes, yeah. "You think this record's good?" He goes, "What's your what's your second favorite record? Uh, Halloween spooky sounds." <laughs> yeah, well, you know, it's really funny because I'm not a huge fan of Metal Box. I'm not even a big. I'm not even a fan of Metal Box. I mean, I like the first Pill album, and I like a lot of things. I think. It's a, another document, but I think the Mary Chain, this record's a better record than Metalbox. And the reason, I, you know, I mean, Metalbox has moments, but I was also told by people close to close at hand that they were auditioning drummers and people at that period of time. Of course, they settled on Mar Martin Atkins, who was a dear friend of mine from Britain, who, uh, you know, was in the band for quite a while. Um, and, uh, but like, there was just crazy stories behind the recording of Metalbox. And I, and, uh, which uh, in America was called second edition, you know, because they were, there was no way they knew they were going to sell many records at Virgin here. So what they ended up doing was releasing it as I meaning calling it second edition. So it had a real cover and it wasn't in a metal box. Cause that, yeah. Just remember the famous story about how blue Monday by new order, one of the greatest dance records of all time um, is the biggest selling 12 inch single of the 1980s or all time. But they lost money on every copy because of the packaging. It was a die-cut floppy disk. So every copy lost the record company factory money. Even though, And it's still considered one of the greatest dance songs. I still believe wow. it. Wow. Blue Monday uh, by New Order. But yeah, they I, lost I, money on every single copy I believe that they that. sold. That's crazy. I have like, just a couple of things here. I don't know if this is in the pre-spiel uh, you got. Just here, read it, dude. This was Jump crazy. in. Demos. Early demos displayed a similarity to the Ramones, prompting the brothers to add another element to their sound. In Williams' words, 
That's why we started using noise and feedback. We wanted to make the record sound different. Uh, they began playing live in 84 spring. And in the early days, William Reed's guitar would be left out of tune while Doug Leash's drum kit was limited to two drums. Hart's bass guitar only had three strings down to two by 1985. Yeah. And in Hart's mm -hmm. words, that's the two I use. I mean, what's the fucking point spending money on the other two? Two is enough. Yeah, and struggling to get gigs at that period of time, which is really funny. I mean, the whole thing is really, it's an interesting thing. And how, you know, they were able to get better and better uh, and make better records as, you know, on those next three uh, were, you know, I, I just happen to love the next three. And I think it's cool that Bobby Gillespie was their drummer for a little while, the front man for Primal Scream, who did the incredible. Really? Okay. I'm moving on up now. Now, now, that's, now that's a great song. Unbelievable. And now Scream and Delica, yeah. Yeah, they I were, love that. I love yeah. that song, man. Yeah, that song's incredible. And that song, they bought, you know, they used Jimmy Miller, you know, who did produce Street Fighting Man and Stones and worked on Biggest Banquet and Let It Bleed. Uh, they were going for that stone sound and they got it. You know, I mean, that's oh why moving God, it up yeah. is so great. It's yeah, such they a really this is this, Josh, like you couldn't do this in stand-up comedy. Struggling to get gigs, the band took to turning up at venues claiming to be the support band, playing their short set and making a quick exit after failing to do <laughs> Like they just like show up. And we're like, I love oh, yeah, this we're stuff. Band. Uh, I, mean, I mean, yeah. Go ahead, Matt, please go. Because this is like, that, I, I, this is that's, this how you make it. This yeah. is how you make it. You you say, I'm not going to take no for an answer and I'm going to do whatever. Because yeah. there are comedians that do shit like that. That's happened a yeah. million times. Maybe they're not showing up saying, hey, I want to go on stage right now. But they're saying, hey, I'm friends with Bill Burr. And he, you know, he told me to swing by here. And they know they can't call Bill. So they're like, uh, okay. And maybe they throw them up. I mean, it happens all the time. Those are hungry artists, which is, which is nuts. Because reading about it, and I know we, I really want to get into this before we even get into the record, is I want to understand these brothers like are they as contentious as oasis are they are they the black well, crows I mean, no i mean i think they're definitely they have that fighting sibling rivalry rivalry like anybody um all brothers i mean they 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 seem to always be fighting there's very few brothers that i've seen in bands that don't come to blows at some point but i wouldn't compare them necessarily to oasis because oasis those guys were never afraid to talk in the press, shred each other, shred everyone else. I mean, yeah. <laughs> give it up. One of my favorite things of all time, and my daughter, uh, my oldest daughter, Jessica, right, who uh, uh, she, it's really funny because, you know, I got her really into Oasis when she was little. I started both my daughters with the Beatles and then went from there, right? But um, and my, my daughter left because I had had this magazine that was basically all old interviews and features on Oasis. And it starts out with Liam Gallagher going, the question is, why isn't why would you write make a magazine about a, a oasis he goes why the fuck would you we're the greatest we're the, you know like all this shit it's hilarious it's really funny okay. even if you don't like them you've got to appreciate that rude confidence that they have i i i fall uh, i've fallen more and more in love with oasis over oh, the years them. because yeah. You know, because it's true. There's a there's a clip of uh, I guess the oh, lead singer yeah. from the band 1975 talking about. He goes, he goes, what are you doing? He's like, no one wants to see your side projects. Get back together and sell out stadiums around. You'll be. He's like, you guys start making. If you guys start playing together, you'll immediately be the coolest band in the world. 
What's up, everybody? I am Finn McKenty, host of the Punk Rock NBA podcast, part of the Sound Talent Media Podcast Network. My podcast is all about doing what you love for a living, and every week I sit down and talk to people who have done exactly that. For example, musicians like Tommy from Between the Buried Me, Matt from Periphery, Lil Lotus and Shinigami, among many others, photographers, artists, designers, YouTubers like Glenn Fricker and Sarah Dietschy, and I unpack exactly how they got to where they are today with the goal of helping you do the same. So if that sounds cool, you can listen and subscribe at SoundTalentMedia.com, and I'll see you there. Porn, Satan, drugs, therapy. It's not just the list of what I'm up to this weekend. I'm comedian Kiki Anderson, and those are just a handful of the taboo topics I've poked and prodded at so far on my podcast, Indecent, the show where we peel at the wallpaper of polite society. Each episode digs into the dark underbelly of our culture to dissect the things we aren't allowed to talk about around the dinner table, featuring conversations with comedians, activists, journalists, academics. They all help me figure out the who, what, and why behind what is and isn't acceptable behavior. Indecent with Kiki Anderson, where NSFW meets LMAO. Well, you know, it's, I mean, it's been, it's crazy because, you know, when, when Liam started out with BDI, uh, you know, I went to see them, you know, look, I did a lot with Oasis. I mean, I threw 120 minutes and I, I remember, especially you, I, you're the, I mean, I, not to cut you off, not to cut you off, but are you, are you the, the VJ that Mr. Show makes fun of where they're interviewing the two British guys and they're giving you no answers. You're asking these great questions and they're just like, I don't know. Yeah, don't I mean, know. I think so. I mean, at that point, I think so because Maynard James Keenan told me that it was definitely that Bob and, and uh, Dave Cross were doing it, and it was just more like. And there was, I think, isn't there one part of it where they go like, "Are oh, you going to know you guys are going to be getting divorced or one next week or something?" And it was like, you know, the guy knows more about your music than you do. Yeah, uh, it was definitely not out of a diss of me, which was cool. And, and you know, look, I've been I've been parodied by you know Ben Stiller, everybody, and I appreciate it. I love that. Um, yeah. And I love uh, Mr. Show with Bob and Dave. I mean, sure. I think it's iconic, man. Geniuses. Yeah. So I think that is true. That's what Maynard told me. And um, uh, which is really wow. cool. But I, you know, I had better luck with bands than most of the other hosts that hosted 120 minutes. Cause I knew more about the music. Yeah. Um, in most cases. Um, and, but at the same time, you know, it's pretty funny. Cause I will say this about British bands. They would come over and they would always, you know, be on a red eye or something or maybe not a red eye, but they would go out the night before we would shoot. And we'd always shoot 120 minutes early in the morning. So they were always pretty hungover. <laughs> like most yeah. of them, but we had great times. And, uh, you know, I love doing that show so much because I really loved and cared about it. Championed alternative music from. You really did. Right, you you know? really did. You know, Matt. It's and then like... on the radio and, you know, in, uh, you know, New Jersey and, and, you know, it was, it was a great opportunity to be there. And I was, you know, got to also remember that other than Lewis Largent, me and Lewis were the only guys that were actually in the music department who were actually fighting for bands, making the de- making decisions on bands. We weren't just talking heads that were hired. You know, we actually had, me and Lewis had a serious love for music and he just passed away recently, which oh, I, man. I was devastated about because he'd been sure. sick for quite a while. And, uh, you know, he's the one who actually gave me that nickname, the walking encyclopedia, because whenever a British band would come to town and we'd be out to dinner he would go, ask about anything about music. Ask about anything about music. You know, <laughs> I mean, I, I remember the chairman of Sony Music when I was. And look, I don't pretend to know everything about music. I'm always learning. The minute you think you know everything, you close the door to growth. And uh, and there's always new great artists coming up. And 
I still thrive on finding a new band or a new song that actually really kicks my ass that just hits me in an emotional or some kind of way. Um, but one of the funniest things ever with that whole reputation of knowing so much about music was one day I'm sitting in my office at Columbia Records. Cause remember I was vice president of A&R and artist development there for like six years. And I get a call from the chairman of Sony music and he goes, Matt, I need you in my office right now. Come upstairs. I go up there. He's sitting in there with Sugar Rose, right? The band from Iceland. Oh yeah, just saw and, them twice. Saw yeah, them, I saw and, them and back fans, to back nights. I know they're great, and I, I love them. And they were like, "Ask Matt anything about music." And they look at me and go, "Who was the first bass player in the Buzzcocks?" Uh, I go, "Garth, who was on Orgasmatic." You know, it was after like Spinal Scratch. Obviously, things had changed up, <laughs> but you know, and they went. Oh my God, you do know. And that was, it was pretty funny. Of course, he wasn't able to sign the band. They didn't sign with them, with our chairman, with our company, but it was just funny because, sure. look, I mean, they, and they could have asked me anything. I could have gotten it wrong. Cause you know, I don't know everything. Nobody knows everything. I mean, you know, but I, but I do. You know, a blanket, you, you have, you cover a a lot. Lot. your, what your blanket covers a wide net. Is that covers a wide net? Is that yes, the same? It, yeah. It's probably, you cast. You know, yeah, because it's true. I mean, I, I love so much music going all the way back to like Sinatra and, you know, and then all the way up through, I know, you know, I love blues and some jazz stuff and soul music from, you know, I love a lot of different things. And, you I know, love you keep an open mind though, because that was why it was perfect for you to be our music director when we were with Dark Lord Spotify. Like yeah. new music at the end of the show. Like that, that was, I love doing that with you guys and working on the podcast with you. So, you know, um, I still love new music and I still love old music and I just, music is always, I'm immersed in it. And I can't imagine like, to, I know till the day I die, I'm hopefully st will still be working guys. It's yeah. crazy. You know, in, in, uh, 2024, I'll have been working, you know, professionally, Although when I say that, I'm talking about making less than somebody in a fast food restaurant for many years, but yeah. um, uh, for many, many years. But, you know, I've been in radio professionally for 40 years, you know, I yeah. mean, you know, college before that. And so I'm, you know, I'm very grateful to still be working and doing what I do. I mean, it's, it's pretty amazing that you're I, so uh, good at it, man. You're so good at it. If there was ever a totally perfect right. job that somebody should have, because this is the thing about this. Like I, I we get these, we, you know, these one sheets for this record and I'm like, I don't even want to look at this. Just have you explain it, Matt. Cause I could listen to your voice, talk about music all day long. <laughs> oh, thank you, Josh. I mean, I, you know, and of course, you know me, it's funny. My, my girlfriend jokes with me um, because she'll go, sometimes when you're falling asleep, you're still talking. She goes, you're filling dead air. <laughs> you know? like, she literally said that dead air never My girlfriend Kara, yeah, you know, it's cool. And luckily, you know, we, you know, we, we recently moved in with each other. And uh, when I met her, she knew so much about music uh, and loved so much music. I'm like, holy shit, where have you been? You know what I mean? So... Yeah, I mean, you know, that's obviously that's only one part of a relationship, but it, of course, I never realized how much of a difference it could make among other things. Uh, so let's, so let's, yeah. table <laughs> so let's, we got about, we got about 20 minutes left, maybe a little less than that. But I, so I want to focus the last 20 talking about this record, because I know, you know, so much we had, we had touched on the brother rivalry and then we went off on Oasis. Like how did that evolve? And did that fuel this band to, to making these incredible records? Well, I think what really happened at this point in time was, you know, I think like so many bands, that were born out of the punk and post-punk and new wave era, 
and it continued through a good part, a part of the 80s, there weren't a lot of job opportunities over there. And if you watch like the Filth and the Fury, the uh, Sex Pistols documentary, if you watch, if you if you really follow what was happening there, you know, it was Thatcher's years and there were really no jobs. And even like, you know, that was a little later, but, you know, towards the end of the 70s, things were so bleak for for young people uh, in the UK uh, that I think they really, they didn't really have a choice. They're like, well, why don't I just like try and do something creatively? Because Otherwise, I'll be bored out of my mind. And I think that's what happened with these two brothers. I think they were reluctant uh, stars of the alternative music scene. I think they were never that comfortable. And they said it themselves. But they would get drunk before they would go on stage. And then, you know, you've got the thing where you grew up with this guy. So, I mean, let's face it, you know, you know, Noel Gallagher and Liam Gallagher shared a bedroom for years. You know what I mean? They were like a poor family in Manchester. You know, so it's like, you know, and then, you know, the, the legendary, the first band that like literally got banned from touring America because of the Kings. brothers fighting. The, the Kings. Kings. Dave and Ray Davies, two of the Which greatest. We, we, had yeah. Dave on, we had Dave on the podcast and he touched on the rivalry a little bit. Like not yeah. much, but he, and he's just a trip, dude. You were talking about a trip. That guy yeah, he lives, he lives like down by Asbury Park now, like by my own stomping grounds. Yeah, you know? yeah, I'm in yeah. L.A. and uh, he's down there, you know. So, okay. so did it. So like, you know, you talked about the, 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 the feuds, like, like which, which brother would you say is the real spearheader of this band? Like is, is one more important than the other? I don't know because I'm not really sure about their writing um, of, of, you know, how literally how they create and write together. But obviously I love Jim Reed as the vocalist. They're both, Hey, look, I mean, I've had nothing but good experiences with them. They've always been super nice to me. And, and, uh, you know, and again, I'm a huge fan of Darklands uh, yeah. and Automatic and Honey's Dead. And this record was well, a great introduction. I like, but I, I think it was something I started to say earlier, but I didn't finish on that thought when we started going into the Nirvana 92 thing was the same way that Nirvana decided that they were going to take pop melodies and add distortion and, you know, distorted heavy guitars was what Noel Gallagher once told me. He said, well, I realized that when Nirvana would take pop melodies and add a lot of distortion and it was a little more sloppy, he goes, that's what I decided we would do with Oasis. Cause you know, it's just disguising these pop melodies, but with a lot of noise and a lot of tension. And I think uh, that was the thing that was happening with the Jesus and Mary chain. Um, you know, because obviously the influence is there. I hear beach boys in a big way. I mean, in, yeah. you know, yeah. in the you phrasing, hear? I hear Beach Boys. I hear like obviously the Phil Spector production is there, but I hear Beach Boys and and Lou Reed and the Velvet Underground. Those are the two artists I hear the most. Yeah, in uh, in here and in this record, Beach Boys uh, are just buried under all this noise. It's they I really are. Hear it. it it's definitely it, it definitely is. Well, you know, and it's interesting too because you know as we go, we can do this. Go through the tracks pretty quickly if you want. Yeah, but, let's know, do it. Let's, let's do, do it. You like, take, take us I through. Kind of tell you. I want I want you to take us through. This is your episode, yeah. Matt. This yeah. is guest oh, hosted yeah. by 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 Matt Pinfield. <laughs> Josh, you know it's a. Uh, Opens with Just Like Honey, which is considered, you know, an alternative music classic, a classic of the 120 minutes here. Yeah. Obviously, of alternative and college radio, the early days of alternative radio, before it became more mainstream. And now, don't even get me started on, it's not even, you know, now it's just basically farm farm club pop. Yeah. Uh, the alternative format has sure. really become disappointing. But, very, um, very much so. You know, um, and it doesn't mean there's not talented people on the radio there, but it because it, there's a lot of my friends that are working there and do the best job they can do with tight playlists and 
some really, you know, just odd choices and things being beaten to death. But it's beat the old boss, new boss, same as the old boss, right? Yeah, but yeah, hundred percent. You know, but anyway, so obviously, just like Honey's this beautiful song that's very Phil Spector esque. It's sang in a whisper. Um, you know, it's it's there's something really magical about that opening track, and obviously, and it's a, and it's about cocaine. Yeah, right. I mean, it's about right. cocaine. That's what we got here. It says it's, you know, walking back to you is the hardest thing that I could do implies addiction. You know, cocaine's described yeah. as good. So I good, didn't know so they could good. afford cocaine back then. Yeah, right. Well, you know, it was, sure probably, like, it was probably was, really cut. Yeah, or <laughs> it was yeah, a, yeah. It was a good quality. Yeah, there's a song on this album called Cut Dead, and that was with their cocaine at the period. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> you, know, you know, if you think about it, when all those punk band new wave bands were starting in the UK, um, they did speed, but it was the speed pills, you know, the cheap speed pills uh, called Black Beauty Shirt, like the Clash, the Jam, all those great bands, Buzzcocks. Yeah. I mean, they were amphetamines. Um, yeah, they were doing amphetamines, you know, yeah. um, cheap amphetamines, uh, which explained the fast play, <laughs> sure. the rocket fire punk. But, you know, um, I, I'm not sure it's about, I, I don't know if I, you know, it's funny, Josh, no matter what they say, I'm not sure I, I agree with that. If the band stated that, maybe they decided that later. Because I'm guessing around this time, who knows? I mean, I just think this Five. song, I, uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's very vague, but maybe it is about cocaine. You know, I stopped doing cocaine a while ago. I'm, I'm so, by the way, I'm sober, going on three years. I'm really Good for you, man. That, you Good know? for you. Finally, uh, finally got a grip on it. And uh, yeah, takes a minute. Grateful. Takes it, a minute. It, it, and, took me and, a bit of a minute into my 50s, right? I'm like, what the fuck? Dude, it's, it takes it's, what it, it takes. It takes what it takes when it's supposed to happen. And I'm so proud yeah. of you, dude. That's yeah, great. Thank you, Josh. It's, it's, uh, I'm very grateful, you know, to, to be here and alive. And speaking of being alive, like the second song is called The Living End, right? So, yeah. you know, their imagery is like, I looked at it as in the lyrics to this song, they're talking about motorbikes, leather boots. You know, it's that imagery, which, of course, one of your favorite bands took that. And what we're inspired by, by the Mary Chain, and we're from Black and Noble Motorcycle Club, great band from LA. Yeah. Um, yeah. And there's also the lyric, I'm in love with myself. So there's that, you know, um, there's, it's very interesting that, you know, the living end, it's again, another song that's drenched with, uh, you know, feedback. But I love uh, the next song, because Taste of Floor. Taste of a great is, song. You no, know, the third Good. song has a lot of references to pain and a lot of dark imagery in that song. Uh, but I think my favorite on the first side is The Hardest Walk, which is the yeah. next song. Why do you, Why is that your favorite? I don't know. I just love the way it starts just with the lyrics, you know? Uh, and I love that line, uh, when your words and touch struck me numb. I just thought that there's... I gotta, I gotta say that the one thing that's great about Mary Chain is uh, really great use of dark lyrics and imagery in, in their songs on all those early records, all four of them. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? Like, uh, you know, jumping off this record for a second, but a, a perfect example is on Darklands, the album after it, there's a song called Nine Million Rainy Days. And it reminded me of the beginning of Taxi Driver when he's driving and it's like the rain and it's, and you know, and it's this, every time I hear that song, it's a beautiful, like slow plodding song on Darklands. Um, and there's, you know, the next one on this record is Cut Dead, which is kind of that, vibe uh the same kind of thing but nine million rainy days always i, I would love that song so much and it reminded me because how much i love you know obviously taxi driver being just love it movies. yeah that blew me away when i was a teenager you know and uh when home when home box when hbo was called home box office and they only had three movies and they would show them repeatedly 
and you had to have the little box, you know, when I was I a remember. teenager. So yeah, my parents had that, you know. So, but Cut Dead is the fifth track on the on that side. It's a quiet track, and um, I love this one because I think this song Cut Dead on here is where you really feel the Velvet Underground influence on here, and That's it's like you know, femme fatale and things like that, and you know. I notice some people would really disagree with me, and that's fine because you should disagree with me if everybody's uh, you know, entitled to their taste. But I love the first Velvet Underground and Nico album, and I love the Nico versions of the songs, but I actually sometimes prefer when Lou sang them, and it pops up on these not very well recorded live Velvet Underground albums. Like there's one called The Velvet Underground Live at Max's Kansas City, right? Mm-hmm. That version of Femme Fatale is my favorite. And the recording is like some dude's tape recorder in a room. Yeah. But the performance by the Velvets and Loose singing the song at that, that period of time is absolutely brilliant. And Cut Dead reminds me of that. I love that. I'm gonna listen. I'm gonna try to find that recording and listen yeah. to both of them back to back. Yeah, because it definitely, I think, is on you know on streaming services. So you check that sure. out. And uh and then, of course, there's two more songs on this side. There's Taste of Cindy, which, again, you know, I like uh, I like when it says, knife to my head, she talks so sweetly, knife to my head, when I think of Cindy. Now, again, they were so inspired by Lou Reed and the Velvet Underground. You know, there were the songs like Candy Says and things like Lou did, like Caroline Says. Lou, as a songwriter, would constantly use uh women's names in songs and then you know uh it, you know it was one of those things that i feel like they were taking that inspiration from the velvets and lou when lou would use a female's name as a song first song you know what i mean and yeah. uh and that's how i felt about uh taste of cindy it's also got like a ramones vibe to it too it does you know yeah and uh which, which is really cool. I think I passed up in a hole, which I'm sorry. You passed up in a hole, but which but, is the noisiest track, but it's it's also sure. my least favorite on the album. So that's sure. like, good you know, to know. There's good something to know. dead inside my soul, my hole. Yeah. I like the lyric, but again, and the thing I taste of Cindy that's cool is it's like a minute and forty seconds. So there's the, your Ramones link, the yeah. early track, very very know? short. But now, so far, the longest song is just like Candy. But no, it's tied within a hole. No, it's a second longer than in a hole. Yeah. So everything is yeah. coming in at about 230, 240, Yeah, It's a short, short first half. Yeah, and then, you know, the second side starts with Never Understand, which was an early single, which is so Beach Boys. It's so surfing USA, so like, so uh, fun, fun, fun. Um, and, you know, not, not subject-wise, but, you know, it's obviously, I think Jim's phrasing is really Beach Boys, uh, you know, so it's it's a good one. Then then uh, there's Inside Me, uh, which actually I do like, um, you know, in a whole a little better than Inside Me, but Inside Me is, is also a cool song, but it's uh, that is another one of my least favorites. But I do love Sowing Seeds, which is the next one. Yeah. And again, they're such a new band. They are limited in their ability to play, so they go right back to the Phil Spector, Shangri-Las, Ronettes, drum sound, <laughs> drumming yeah, right. on sowing seeds. Again, they were still finding that in themselves. And I love the lyric in here that once again, they're using the imagery of knives and spikes, which would continue through their later records. Um, and it says, I'm sick of being of the beating by everyone. You know, it's just being beat down. So sowing seeds, 
He's a cool Before song. Before you jump ahead, Matt, I just yeah. never understand. We have a little note in here from Adam who prepares our research. He says the label had initially refused to press the single due to its B-side. Jesus fuck, right? And oh yeah, but went ahead given the alternative put forward by the band a song called Jesus fuck. Like how is Jesus to suck uh fuck better than suck? That's that's Uh yeah, I don't think that really uh yeah, you know, that would really Crazy. in those days and even in America but especially in the UK. That remember that was only a few years after they wouldn't put anarchy in the UK and God save the queen people, you know, people working in the factories and pressing factories. There were a lot of old older people there, you know, like there were yeah. old women that had been, you know, there since they'd been pressing in England, Cliff Richard and Frank Sinatra and Elvis records. So, you know, the, a lot of people were seriously offended. I mean, people were offended by the Jesus and Mary Chain's name to begin with. Um, oh, I, I bet. think that was Jesus. the other thing. And you got to remember how crazy, uh, you know, it was in America, even in the 60s, the reason why God Only Knows was the number two single in the UK, but never a big hit in America as beautiful as God Only Knows is that people were, mm -hmm. were like, afraid to play a song with the word God in the title in America back in 19, you know, 66. So, you know, that kept that Beach Boys, one of the greatest songs ever written, God only knows from being a real hit in America, you know, never yeah. got up, all the way up the chart. And that I believe was, that blows my mind because of the use of the word God in a song. People were very afraid. They were God fearing people. So they're like, wait a minute, you can't, you can't put that on a record. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, so, yeah. You know, that was the deal we'll never understand. Yeah, yeah they were always, obviously, the Jesus and Mary Chain were, were trying to, you know, fuck with people in a big way. Hello, everybody. I'm Bruce. And I'm Nolan. And this is the Corner of Gray Street Podcast. As longtime Dave Matthews Band fans, we set out to create a podcast to dive deep into the past, present, and future of DMB. Not only do we recap and review shows within an ongoing tour, but we revisit past shows from throughout the band's history, conduct interviews with a wide variety of guests with ties to DMV, and create unique and exclusive content like our Concerts on the Corner series. Whether you're a fan of the band or just a fan of great music, we think you'll find something you'll enjoy. We can't wait to see you on The Corner of Gray Street. My my favorite song on this album, other than Just Like Honey, uh, after my is after is, is coming, but but My Little Underground's a good song. That's not the one I'm talking about. What I like is it's got a really cool pop melody. My Little Underground is the Jesus and Mary Chain rewrite of In My Room by the Beach Boys. Because the lyrics are about, you know, isolating, being by yourself, you know, somewhere I can't be found in my little underground is, you know, the same is, you know, their version of there's a there's a world where i can go and tell my secrets to in my room you know by the beach boys so yeah that's uh, uh, that's crazy that's how i see that song and my favorite song on the album is you trip me up which is the next track on on side two and believe it or not i prefer there's an acoustic version which is really hard to find it used to be one of their b-sides uh it's on their bobbed wire wired kisses box set i think um, but which is a great name for a box in the barbed wire kisses. Like, you know, that's the cool thing about Jesus and Mary Chain. Like the imagery is just is dark, sharp. And uh, some people might find it offensive, but I just think it's, you know, they paint a lot of pictures and uh, and these really, really cool imagery on everything. But yeah, again, you trip me up, you know, 
I love it. This it year opened. was ranked sixth by NME on their 85 tracks of the year list. Number yeah. Six. Uh, yeah. And I love the lyric. Sometimes I walk sideways to avoid you when I've annoyed you. <laughs> That's mm. a great opening lyric. <laughs> um, and, you know, sideways they talk about later on, they had a single called Sidewalking, which was great. Um, very, and, you know, they had a song called, speaking of, uh, they actually had a song called Bo Diddley's Jesus <laughs> at some point oh, as well. Wow. So they were obviously, uh, Using the, uh, you know, they were they were not afraid to keep using the word Jesus. Uh, but yeah, you trip me up is a great song. I great always, song. You know, uh, and then and something's it, wrong, and, something, and yeah. which is the longest song on the record. Yeah, and, well, and here's the funny thing about something's wrong. They used the same riff on one of their best singles off Darklands. They re-resurrected it without all the feedback, and did Happy When It Rains, which was the follow-up to April Skies on their next album. Happy When It Rains is a great song that everybody should check out. But you'll hear that. Yeah, yeah. So they're like, hey, we were, we we had that judge the feedback. We'll just, without the feedback, it's a different song. <laughs> no, yeah. it's, uh, no, whatever. It's a cool song. But I really do like uh, Something's Wrong because uh, it's a song about like being loneliness, alienation, and heartbreak. It's, you know, another day of life without you. Uh, I like, you know, the imagery and the lyrics of that one. And then, um, the album ends with It's So Hard, which is the only song that William Reed, his brother, sings on. Um, and, you know, it's, uh, again, for those people that are wondering what we're talking about, this is a, a band who put out a record that sounded like, you know, they, they added so much feedback that it sounded like a chainsaw, a blender, or air conditioner. Um, it just, that's what it sounds like in a lot of places. But there's is something magical about it. It's... Uh, it's a very divisive album. Um, it's a very polarizing album. I think the band but, went for the polarizing things in some of their imagery over the years. They were artists, huh? They were just trying to fuck with people, basically. Yeah, they really were. They certainly were, you know? And, um, you know, it's, uh, and it was cool. You know, they had did that Sometimes Always song where he, you know, uh, you know, uh, you know, uh, who did the uh, song with Hope Sandoval of, uh, of Massey Starr, who was his girlfriend, uh, Jim Reed's girlfriend for a while, or William Reed, one of them. Uh, and they did a duet together. And then another big fight broke out on stage, I think with her and him. So like crazy. Their wow. history right. is so nuts. We Again. have a story here that uh, it says playing in front of small audiences during early shows, the marriage chain performed very short gigs, typically, typically fueled by amphetamines you mentioned and lasting around 20 minutes. Yes. And uh, played with their backs to the audience, refusing to speak, doing the Jim Morrison thing. Uh, and then during an 84 December performance, bottles were thrown on stage with press reports exaggerating events and claiming there had been a riot. And the national newspaper, The Sun, ran a story on the band concentrating on violence and drugs. And Yeah, and that's what made them famous. It's so funny because, I, like I said, it was like some some really small bullshit, and then you know the press has got to sell papers over there. Yeah, and I love the melody maker sounds and um, and the enemy because that's how I found out you know what was going on in the British charts. Um, you know, every week uh, they had the indie charts and the regular pop charts, and there were some there were good songs in both. You know, and as any pop charts, there's shit in them too. You know, as there always is. You know, people that glamorize one era and go, "Oh, it was the greatest time for music." Yes. It might have been a very fertile time, and there are every you know there are definitely these incredible that ground swells, whether it's Seattle or San Francisco or Los Angeles or whatever that happens to be. Um, but there was always shit music too, <laughs> right? Yeah, They're always out no matter what. 
You know, there's always stuff in the charts that you're like, what was that shit? Oh, but um, you they, know, they don't stand the to the time. But I, I yeah. see here the last fact that I think is pretty dope, Josh, is uh, about yeah. Trent Reznor being a big fan. Oh, for sure. Yeah, you can hear that in that just everything. Right? It's that's yeah. not a surprise at all. Yeah. Um, yeah. I like, just want I, you know. I just wanted to say to people, this is a cool album to check out on the streaming services. But um, there is also a compilation I think called Twenty One Singles. It's yeah. interesting if you listen to that to hear the way the band met, you know, the metamorphosis of the band and how they grew. But cool. again, my favorite album is Darklands, the one right after this. And I also love Automatic, the third album, and Honey's Dead. There's uh, incredible songs on all those, but this is definitely worth listening to it and experiencing. Um, Completely. Yeah. I, you know? I think I think if you listen, I think to all the listeners out there, it's like if you're going through the list anyway, you got to listen to it. This might be one that you might need a couple listens to really get, okay. but, you know, don't give up on it. Like it's I thought it was very rewarding and I thought it was great. And usually I ask these few questions before we get out of here, but you've answered a lot of them. So I just want to ask you, knowing what you know about the Jesus and Mary chain and their full catalog for the last thing, does this record deserve to be the one that's on the 500 greatest albums list? Um, I think, you know, it's an arguable point. I think that it really, it's seriously debatable. Um, I like it because I think, again, it's a line in the sand record. Uh, it's a confrontational record. I mentioned before, polarizing and divisive. Um, and even something is, you, that you might find as pop as the Ramones' first album. When I got that when I turned 15 years old and it had just come out, and I was at the Corvette's department store, and I um, you know, I asked my sister-in-law who was working there, hey, I got some birthday money. It's my birthday. Uh, I got suspended from school for fighting. I got in a fight with a guy who was born on the same day, another Irish guy like myself, who <laughs> We beat each other up in the bathroom over the same girl that we were like in love with and we were like we were at war with. We got suspended. His dad was a mobster, major mobster. My dad was a school teacher, so he probably congratulated his son and me. And we mean this guy are friends to this day, believe it or not. Nice. But um, here I am turning 15. I get suspended, go home, and I hitchhike up to uh, the, this department store that sells records. And I just said, hey, uh, you got anything cool? for me and they pull out the first Ramones album and I go oh my god 14 songs holy shit and yeah. uh, I bought the record very polarizing I will use that as an example of you know people either loved or hated it and I think that's kind of what this is like or you might some people might find hey this is alright there's some good songs on here but again um, it's arguable that this should be on there I think it's an important record that I do think I think yeah it was an important record because I think it opened, uh, you know, a lot of opportunity for people to do records like this. And in its way became more mainstream and poppy in bands like Nirvana and Oasis and people that would add more distorted guitars to pop melodies. And yeah. so therefore I think it's an important record. Is it one of my favorites? Not as much no. as the other ones <laughs> yeah, they've yeah. done, but, uh, yeah. But I mean, I'm gonna. I have to be completely honest. I wouldn't come on here and go, "Oh, you know, it's our greatest record of all time." I love but, that. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I, I'm gonna be I really think, honest with you. I'll yeah. tell you which records that if you were gonna buy them, buy one, buy the second, third, or fourth. I think they have. They are such great records. Like I'm gonna this. listen to them. I'm gonna listen to them now. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Matt, promote away, dude. Anything you want to promote? Yeah. Well, I have a TV show on Access TV. It's called The Power Hour that I do with Katie Babs uh, as my co-host from Sirius XM and. Josh Bernstein, who created the Golden Gods Awards, Loudwire. It's a rock 
video countdown interview show. People vote on it. It's, it's a lot of fun. It started as a Twitch show on my couch through Danny Wimmer Presents, which is, uh, you know, one of the, the biggest independent rock concert promoter in the U.S. It's on Access TV. You know, I have a radio show Sunday nights in Los Angeles on KLOS, which is the rock station. It's uh, it's called New and Approved, and it's uh, 10 songs that are like the 10 biggest songs in, in uh, rock in uh, Los Angeles and anywhere in Southern California. And then I just do interviews and, and celebrate albums, anniversaries, and rock birthdays. Wow. And then I have another show that's on all over the country, probably 180 radio stations terrestrial. Uh, called Flashback, which is like a rock history show. It'll go like 1974, and I'll give you facts and stuff from 1974 how albums did cool. this week in rock history. That's been going for 12 years. Yeah. Um, and then I have this other streaming countdown, which is a rock countdown through a live one that's in like all the Teslas and, uh, you know, I don't know what else, but I mean, it's an app. <laughs> I mean, but I, you know what it is, guys? I just keep on going, you know? And yeah, it's great. Like, I'm it, yeah. man. Yeah, I mean, I, here's my thing. You know, I always say this to everybody. You know what? I don't make a lot of money, but I love what I do. And I, you know, I put enough things together as an independent contractor to keep on going because mm -hmm. I love music so much. And that's really all I've ever, you know, I've been driven by it from, from day one, you know? And, uh, you know, from the time I was a young kid. And I'm just so grateful that I get to talk about music. Like, be you, on this with you, Josh. The best. Yeah. You know, and hang out it, with it you, rules, guys. Man. You and Jeremiah, man. It's a great hang. A great you know? hang. Dude, <laughs> you know? thank you so much for coming on, buddy. Maddie Pinfield. Follow him on Instagram at Matthew Pinfield, on Twitter at Matt Pinfield. Go to his website, mattpinfieldmusic.com and uh, support this show and Matt because we love everybody. For new music, we got a band from Canada called Odonis Odonis. This is their song, Trust, off their 2021 album, Spectrum. Go to uh, the500podcast.com for all the info and send us your song and we will play it at the end of the podcast if you like uh, the podcast and you like your music and you want it supported. Next week is Paul Simon Week. We're doing his self-titled 72 album. Listen to it.
everyone, this is Tuck from Fit for a King, an off-road minivan. Every week I bring you fun interviews alongside your favorite metalcore entertainers with my new podcast, Get Tucked. Join me every Monday with bands like Counterparts, Crystal Lake, like Mods to Flames, and many more. We play unsigned and undiscovered bands, deep dive into each artist's history, and of course provide the greatest breakdowns in current metalcore. Tune in to Get Tucked every Monday, out now through Sound Talent Media. Ever wonder what a punch from Elton John feels like? Or how you'd cope with having turned down the chance to be in Nirvana? Or what signal Keith Richards gives when he wants you to get the hell out of his hotel room? Fans of Too Much Effing Perspective don't have to wonder, because they've heard these exact stories and a jillion others on our podcast. I'm Alex Hoffman, former tour manager for Radiohead. And I'm musician and comedy writer Alan Keller. On the TMEP show, we get guests like Nancy Wilson from Heart, Jeremiah Freights from the Lumineers, and Modern Family's Julie Bowen to tell us things they may have only shared with their therapist, clergy, or a TMZ stringer. So join us on Too Much Effing Perspective. That's E-F-F-I-N-G Perspective. The only podcast you crank up to 11. Next Chapter Podcasts.